Liverpool 7-0 at Celtic Park in Belfast on the 1st of February 1930. The man of the moment and the name on everyone's lips was the Belfast-born centre-forward Joe Bambrick. That's because Slip at the Joe had scored six of the seven goals, a double hat-trick, an unprecedented achievement which has never been equaled by any British international footballer in the 92 years since. Bambrick is arguably the greatest Irish centre-forward of all time, not like the old bustling style of centre-forward of that era. He was said to be an extremely intelligent player, and this game intelligence took him into many goal-scoring opportunities. His ability to finish off chances was described as unique, scoring goals from any angle, often impossible, and hence those words which are now part of Irish soccer folklore, head, heel or toe, slip at the Joe. The words are associated with Joe Bambrick, Irish football legend and Donegal roadman. In the elite list of world football's greatest goal scorers, Joe Bambrick's 348 goals in top division league football places him among the top 20, six goals ahead of the Portuguese legend Eusebio and far in front of his nearest local rival, Belfast Celtic's Jimmy Jones on 331 goals. Even more impressive was the rate in which Bambrick scored these goals, 1.31 goals per game, which ranks fourth in the world. Joseph Gardner Absalom Bambrick was born in Burnaby Street in the Grosvenor Road area of Belfast on the 3rd of November 1905. When he was five years old, the family moved nearby to 219 Roden Street where he would live for the rest of his life. At this address, the Ulster History Circle have erected a blue plaque in his honour and it was unveiled in 2006. During a glittering career, Bambrick turned out for Chelsea, Walsall and internationally for Ireland, but he made his name as an outstanding centre-forward for Linfield in the 1920s and 1930s, where he achieved legendary status at Windsor Park. Even his old adversaries on the pitch held him in high regard. Belfast Celtic's Tommy Breen described Bambrick as, quote, the greatest. He did everything so cleanly and he could read a game perfectly. Meanwhile, at Bambrick's testimonial dinner in 1979, Glenn Torrance Fred Roberts embraced Joe Bambrick in respect. In the 1929-1930 season, Bambrick had a record 94 goals, but the following season Fred Roberts surpassed it by two, hitting 96. But that night, at the testimonial dinner in Windsor Park, almost 50 years on from their remarkable goal-scoring battle, they were friends. At the age of 20, Bambrick was working full-time while playing junior football for Ulster Rangers before getting his move to senior football. Ironically, it was with Glen Torn that Bambrick first came to prominence as a shy, softly-spoken, modest young man with a penchant for scoring remarkable goals, and they came via his head, his heel or his toe. Joe signed for the Glens in May 1926 and scored 44 goals in 37 games during his one and only season at the Oval. His abilities caught the eye of Linfield who brought him back to South Belfast at the end of 1927, thus opening a memorable chapter for both club and player which began in blistering fashion with a double strike against Glentorn on the 20th of August 1927. He went on that season to score 81 goals in his first full season, 78 in his second and a record-breaking 96 goals in his third season in 1929 and 1930. While at Linfield, Slip at the Joe became the catchphrase on everyone's lips. There are many versions as to the origins of the Slip at the Joe catchphrase. 
Malcolm Brody, though the late great sporting editor of the Belfast Telegraph, revealed the findings of his own investigation into the matter, had pointed towards Bambrick's inside-left partner, Eddie Matthews. Matthews had been rushed to hospital for a cartilage operation after his knee locked in a game, and as he came out of the anaesthetic, he shouted, Slip it to Joe! In the same ward, a comedian from the Empire promptly made this his catchphrase for his comedy routine. Bambrick's career was almost prematurely cut short in December 1930 when he seriously cut his wrist at the end of a training session. Joe slipped whilst getting out of the bath and fell through a window causing him bad cuts in which a nerve was severed. A delicate operation however managed to save his hand. An indication of his popularity were the news bulletins that were issued daily from the Royal Victoria Hospital on his condition. Bambrick improves and satisfactory progress by Joe were some of the headlines as he recovered. The injury meant that he had missed an encounter with Portadown on Christmas Day 1930 and the episode was acknowledged by a poem in the Portadown Matchday programme which read Linfield, you're more than welcome to Shamrock Park today. You're the one team in the Irish League the Ports are keen to play but first accept the sympathy alike from friend and foe of the stroke that has deprived you of the one and only Joe. Not only was Bambrick's form blistering at club level, he became a quality player at international level too. He scored on his international debut against England in 1928 and scored two in his third match for Ireland against Scotland in 1929. It was in his fifth match for Ireland though that he scored the six goals versus Wales in a 7-0 win. The game was Ireland's first match of the British Championship that year. On the 50th anniversary of that double hat-trick feat, he returned to Celtic Park to reminisce with another Linfield legend and Sandy Roman, Tommy Dixon, the Duke of Windsor. It was always a great pitch, said Joe of Celtic Park, never heavy, although it was a bit soggy on that international day. In contrast, Windsor would have pulled the legs of you, he said. With sleet falling, he surveyed the scene. Joe never normally said very much. His economy of words was almost as notorious as his goal-scoring prowess. That day, though, he talked and was anxious to relive the occasion when football was not tainted by the financial trappings of the modern era. I hit two in the first half at the Donegal Road end, he said, pointing towards the multi-storey Royal Victoria Hospital Nurses' Home. Then four at the other end in the second half. Andy McCluggage, he was the captain, got the seventh near the finish. A week after the game, a local soft drinks producer marketed a beverage which they called Joe Six to mark his amazing feat. Joe's opponent that February day was Fred Keener, well known for his use of industrial language during games. He ridiculed his fullbacks, cursed his goalkeeper and bantered Joe Bambrick mercilessly. Six kicks at the ball and you get six goals, said Keener albeit with a few more expletives, to which Joe replied, Wait a minute, Taffy, one of them was a header. And this angered Fred even more. Asked if he thought that that record would ever be beaten, Bambrick said, Honestly, I felt it would have gone before now. It should have been with teams like Cyprus and Malta around. I suppose eventually it will. Good luck to the lad that does it. I hope I'm around to congratulate him. Fifty years on, though, as Joe stood on the pitch once again, he studied the old unreserved stand with the white letters of Celtic Park emblazoned on it, the rusting barriers and the weed-strewn terracing, a shadow of what was once a great football club and a great football ground at Belfast Celtic. 
You know, said Joe, I'm expecting Elisha Scott to rise any moment from that ground. Elisha Scott was a Donegal roadman like Bambrick, and he began his football with the 4th Belfast Company of the Boys Brigade before moving to Broadway United. From here, Scott signed for English Giants Liverpool as a goalkeeper. He played his first game for Liverpool against Newcastle on New Year's Day 1913, and it was the beginning of an association with the Merseyside club that would last 22 years. In total, he played 429 games for Liverpool before returning to Belfast in 1935 to become player-manager of Belfast Celtic, where he remained the manager until 1949, during a hugely successful period for the club. Elisha Scott died aged 66 in 1959, and he's buried at Belfast City Cemetery. Bambrick, as he pressed the turf at Celtic Park with his highly polished brown shoe, said of Scott, What a fabulous character he was. No better keeper either. The double hat-trick against Wales alerted clubs across the water to Bambrick's potential. From that moment on, Joe was heralded in song and story. They wise-cracked about him in music halls. His name was on the lips of everyone in shops, offices, factories and the shipyards. English giants Chelsea came calling in 1934 and paid £2,500 for his services, a record fee at that time for Irish football, and at a time when Irish league clubs were struggling financially. He made an immediate impact, helping his new club to a 2-0 victory over Aston Villa in a Christmas Eve game. In 21 league matches that season, Bambrick scored 15 goals, and in the next season he had another 15 to be the club's top scorer. Among the most memorable performances was his four-goal contribution to a 7-1 defeat of Leeds in early 1935. His time at Chelsea spanned three years, scoring 33 goals in 59 top-flight appearances before moving to Walsall in the 1937-1938 season, and then eventually moving back to his local club, Linfield. It was at Windsor Park where he retired in around 1945 with hundreds of goals to his name and only one red card received against Derry City at the Brandywell for comments made towards the referee. Bambrick earned 11 caps for Ireland and he scored 12 goals in those appearances. One of these caps from the 1935-36 season was auctioned off by the Belfast Telegraph in 1940 to help raise money for a Spitfire squadron for Northern Ireland during the Second World War. The Belfast Telegraph launched what they called the Spitfire Fund during the Battle of Britain and the aim was to raise enough public money for at least one of these iconic fighter planes. Bambrick's cap eventually sold at the Spitfire auction for about £21, described as a fine sum by the Telegraph newspaper. It was bought by a man called Billy Black who immediately gifted it back to be sold again to raise more money for the Spitfire Fund this time during a function when Linfield were due to play Belfast Celtic at Windsor Park in the Gold Cup, where Joe Bambrick actually drew the winning ballot himself. In total, the cap raised £47 for the fund. Other footballers got involved too. Bambrick's former Linfield teammate Harry McCracken donated his Irish Cup winner's medal to be sold at the auction. Fundraising events such as this were happening up and down the country and consequently thousands of pounds came flooding into the Belfast Telegraph offices. In total, the Spitfire Fund raised £88,633, which is almost £3 million in today's money, and this was enough to buy 17 Spitfire planes. Bambrick's fundraising efforts continued beyond the auction of his international cap, 
He also turned out for a team of ex-internationals for a charity match against the Royal Ulster Rifles at Ballymena. The idea was to raise money for the Royal Ulster Rifles Conference Fund. Such was Bambrick's enthusiasm for turning out in these charity games, he was actually suspended by the English Football Association for participating in five charity games that were not under the jurisdiction of the association. The suspension, imposed in September 1942, was the last until the 1st of December and caused complications with his return to Linfield, forcing him to sit on the Windsor Park sidelines until he was cleared to play again. He would eventually don the famous Royal Blue again on the 20th of February 1943 in a friendly match against Larne at Windsor Park in front of a huge crowd. That day he led the team out as captain to a huge ovation and scored what was described as a typical Barnbrick goal. From then he moved into coaching and then scouting for the Belfast Linfield Blues. In February 1979, after a degree of public pressure on the matter, Joe Bambrick was finally given a testimonial dinner organised by Linfield. The event was dripping with nostalgia with famous names there from the 1920s, the 1930s and the 1940s as well as some of Northern Ireland's World Cup heroes from 1958. It didn't matter whether they played for Linfield, Belfast Celtic or Glentorn. They were there in unison to say thank you to Joe who by that stage was a 73 year old pensioner. In came Fred Roberts. Eddie Matthews, Tommy Breen, Bertie Peacock, Wilbur Cush and the Duke of Windsor himself, Tommy Dixon. Over the course of the night, Joe signed hundreds of autographs on menu cards, as did all the other personalities in fact. A toast to Joe was proposed by Malcolm Brodie of the Belfast Telegraph and replied on behalf of the shy Joe by Billy Drennan of the Irish Football Association, to which Joe said, I couldn't have done it better myself. Another toast was responded to by the immortal Celtic halfback Harry Walker, who said it must have been the first time he had been applauded at Windsor Park. Malcolm Brody, who we've mentioned already, the former sports editor of the Belfast Telegraph, knew Bambrick personally in the latter stages of his life. And he said there was never any sign that he had been a superstar of the 1920s and 1930s when achieving soccer fame was much more difficult than it is now. Not from him any prima donna gestures. He was shy, reticent, drawl. Looking back over his career, uh, one match report from his latter days at Walsall recorded how he gave the Newport opposition defence a torrid time. And ironically, they were managed by a former Linfield player, Buxy McCandless. The Belfast Telegraph concluded that his performance that day proved that, quote, Joe is still a force for football. And having looked at his story and delved into his stats, I would argue that almost 40 years after his death, Joe Bambrick can still be regarded as a force for football to this day. Thank you for listening to this slightly shorter edition of the Historical Belfast podcast. I've got a few exciting episodes queued up and ready to drop in the coming weeks. Don't forget that you can support the podcast on patreon.com and this is where you can access exclusive content and be the first to hear all of the episodes before anyone else. I'll be back very soon with some more tales of Belfast history.